guys are here. Uh, See, so here's a quick recap of where we went, where we have been. John 10, 10 was our theme verse. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came so we'd have life and have it abundantly. We said that, uh, well, for me, I look at Genesis 1 and 2 as a snapshot of what abundant life actually looks like. The rest we defined as intentional non-productivity. We said all of these elements have a vertical and a horizontal component. So vertically rest is trusting the work of Jesus to bring us into right relationship with God. Horizontally rest is trusting the goodness of God, which means we can play. And then last week we looked at work, this idea of our contribution. What are we kind of bring to the table vertically here at Stonebridge? We call that doing your deal, living out your calling, um, your destiny, whatever phrase you want to use. It's how we contribute to what God is doing in the world. And then we said horizontally, that's your job or your occupation it's how you contribute to society. So anybody can have can contribute to society for believers. So that's what we talked about the past couple of weeks. If you missed either of those and that looks interesting to you, the um, we have it on the website and you can have the slides and all of that I think is up there as well. So tonight we're going to talk about the last element, relationships. And I, I made a mistake because we have about 25 minutes and I can't even begin. I don't know what I was thinking to think I could get anywhere with relationship with God or and other people in 25 minutes. So I'm just going to give you the most high-level thing that I can. Hopefully it's helpful and really just trust that you'll direct the conversation around the table in the way that's the most helpful for you. We're not, even, we're not, we're not getting anywhere is basically what I'm saying. So I hope you enjoyed the food. Um, <laughs> the way I'm defining relationship is a heart connection. Proverbs 4 says we uh, guard your heart for it's a wellspring of life. If you read the Bible, that word heart appears over and over and over again. It seems to be the part of us that God most wants. If he has our hearts, he has us. If he doesn't have our hearts, then he doesn't. It's the center, the core of who we are, mind, will, and emotions all wrapped up in that one word, heart. So don't hear heart strictly as Feeling. Some of you are more thinkers and so that doesn't connect with you. Um, think about heart encompassing the, again, it's, it's the core of who you are, your mind, your will, and your emotions uh, residing there. And that's what God is looking for. So vertically, John 17, 3, will you go back? This is eternal life, that they may know you. So this is a prayer Jesus is praying, so that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the essence of eternal life is relationship. With God, And then going back to Genesis, the Lord God said to Adam, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for, fit for him. And remember, when, when God said that, Adam at that point was living in a perfect environment. The fall had not yet occurred. He had perfect relationship, perfect fellowship with God. And God is still saying it's not good. If you go back and read Genesis 1, every day God says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then we, we read him saying it's not good. And so it's kind of an interesting use of, of words that Adam is in an environment and everything in that environment has been declared good. And yet there's something not good about it for him. And that's being alone. So we see the importance of relationship for people as well. You can go to the next one. So vertically, there's a guy named A.W. Tozier. He was a pastor 
Uh, he died in 1963. He was a pastor, a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor. Most of his time he spent in Chicago. He wrote about 60 books. This is one of his famous quotes. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So when you're thinking about vertical relationship, again, with God, there's so many things we can say. I just decided to zero in on this. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Your image of God determines how you approach him or how you relate to him. That's my theory. You could disagree. I believe that what what pops into your mind, and usually it's subconscious, when you think of God, that determines the way you approach him. And it actually also determines the way you live your life. We won't talk about that tonight. We don't have time. But I would say it also, again, determines how you live your life. So here's some images people have. Will you go back? Not those. So some people see God as a senile grandfather. Kind of like Santa Claus type figure. And so if that's what you think about when you think about God, then your approach to him is going to tend to be disrespectful and casual. You're going to think, just like with your senile granddad, you can do whatever you want. And at the end of the day, he's going to say, it's all okay. I'm just glad you're around. That can cause people to live very recklessly in their life. And again, they figure that everything will be okay in the end. Some people see God as an absentee parent. It's kind of a deistic mindset. God created everything. He set everything in motion. He spun the top, and now he's off messing around in another galaxy or universe. If that's how you view God, then you're going to tend to not approach him regularly. And when you do approach him, it's going to be perfunctory. It's, well, I'm supposed to do this, or it's going to be very minimal at best. And you're going to live your life saying, well, if I can believe it, or if I can, if it's going to be, it's up to me kind of an idea. Put a lot of pressure on yourself. Some people see God as a vending machine. Very technique-oriented in their approach. If I do A, then God will give me B. And so everything kind of gets reduced. It's, it's very legalistic. You can think of some of the Pharisees in the New Testament. This is their approach to God. This is, this is what he expects of us. So this is what we're going to do, and then he's going to fill in the blank. We're going to fast, and we're going to give a tenth of all of our spices, and all he cares about is us following all the rules, or you've got the scorekeeper God, which then leads to being performance-based in our approach to him. So if I feel like I've had a good week, then I'm confident when I approach God. If I feel like I've blown it, then maybe I'm a little more grovelly towards him, or I'm more reluctant to approach him. Those are just some. You may have a different one. Um, everybody has a character, a caricature, you can go to the next one, Kim, of God. So a caricature is when you exaggerate a feature of someone, and then you underemphasize other features. Y'all know who all those guys are? Who's the bottom left? That's right. I couldn't think of his name. The Facebook guy. You're not on. Are you on Facebook? He's the reason why. So, this is what we all have with God, and it's not because we're bad. It's because we're people. We're finite, and we're trying to grasp infinite, and it's impossible. So all of us naturally gravitate towards some characteristics or qualities of God. And all of us tend to underemphasize or maybe even push back from some of the qualities or characteristics of God. And so if we drew a picture of him, our pictures would all look like this. And again, it's not because we're bad. It's not because we're intentionally misrepresenting God. It's because we're finite and we're trying to somehow comprehend infinite We're trying to comprehend, we're created, and we're trying to comprehend creator. There's just so many 
the distance between us and him is so great, it's very difficult for us to say, well, I've got a fully formed, accurate picture of who God is. In the Old Testament, you have this idea that no one has seen God. And then there's a sense in which we can still say that, even spiritually so. That there's just aspects of his character that we're going to naturally or we're going to continually underemphasize and overemphasize. And you can probably think of what some of those things are for you. Some of you, you read Joshua or you read Judges and you're like, I don't, I don't get it. That's the part of God. I'm just not going to think about that part of God. Or for some of you, it's some of the lovey-dovey language in the New Testament. Jesus being the bridegroom and you're like, I don't, that doesn't resonate with me at all. And I don't think about God that way. So we'll, you can talk about that some in your small group. But again, we all have this. And it's, again, it's just because we're finite. We can't hold the infinite. So as I was thinking about, we go to the next one. So if we want to kind of fill out or true up our image of God, recognizing it's all of us have distortions. So if we want to fill out and true up, here are three things I thought that you could do. One is you can pray that prayer from Ephesians 1. This is a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians. I pray that you would be able that you would have that God would give you the spirit of wisdom so that you may know him better. It's a great prayer to pray. God, I pray that you would give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I could know you better. The idea of revelation, I think, is so important. We can't intuit or think or reason our way to God. He has to reveal himself to us. He has to disclose himself to us. When we try to start from us and get to God, we create superheroes. That's the best we can do. It's the best version of who we see ourselves to be. That's really all we can come up with. And they usually have a tragic flaw as well. God had to reveal himself to us. That's why the incarnation is such an important truth for us. It's God putting on skin and bones in the person of Jesus to say, this is what I look like living life with you. So important for us. Reading the Bible, that's the second one. So, so important. The Bible is the clearest revelation we have. We didn't live with Jesus. It's the clearest revelation we have of who God is and how God acts. That seems, I know, can seem like Christianity 101. But if you want to get to know him better, the best thing you can do is read the Bible. And as you read the Bible, you pray that prayer. God, show me who you are through this book. I want to see. Even the parts of you, maybe even especially the parts of you that are difficult for me to get my heart and my mind around. You've got to show me. Help me reconcile these things that to me maybe look paradoxical about who you are. I see this, I read about this righteous God and then I read about this forgiving God. How do those things go together? This merciful God and this God who judges. How do those things fit together? So prayerfully, God, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me through this book that you've given me. That's the best, to me, that's the best thing you can do. And ultimately, it takes time. Every relationship, I don't know a shortcut. The only way I know to get to know somebody is to spend time with them. If you have to choose between no time and multitasking, then you can multitask. But eventually, it's, I think, intentional, focused time in the Word and in, in prayer. And when you're praying, it doesn't always mean you have to be saying, God, do this in my life, work this way. It's not always asking. Sometimes it's just saying, God, I want to I know you more. And you, just kinda, you can kind of sit in his presence. That may seem really weird for some of y'all. But you just begin to ask him to reveal himself to you. Give me eyes to see who you are. You'll get to know him better. 
again, that can be kind of ethereal, but I hope you can grab onto some of that. Also, uh, horizontally, let's go on to the next one. Life-giving relationships. We talk about this stuff every time we talk about small groups. So I think this is one of the areas where something like social media can give you a false sense of relationship. So having followers, having friends, people liking your posts and tagging, like none of that matters when it comes to life-giving relationships. There's a big difference between being popular or being kind of known in that way and people actually knowing your heart. And so let's kind of push all of those things aside. doesn't matter how many people would show up to your 40th birthday party. That's not what we're going for here. What we're looking for is two, three, four, five people who you would say they know everything about me. And it's two, three, four, or five. It's not 25 or 130. That's not the deal. Most people can only carry about 12 significant relationships at any one period of time. People who are extraordinarily relational can carry about 20, but that's, that's rare. Most people can carry 12. Someone like me can carry about two and a half. So depending on your level of extroversion and your kind of relational capacity, it's, that's one of the reasons why most small groups are around 12. Beyond that, uh, there, there begins to be a bit of a disconnect. It's too hard to have those deep relationships with everyone. And again, for some of us, we're much more comfortable even with two or three than with seven or eight or nine. So in your mind, we're talking about life-giving relationships. I always say start with two or three. Like if you wind up with 10 or 12, that's great if you can handle that number of relationships. From But again, two or three to me is about all that you need. You can even think about Jesus's relationships. He had three, and he had 12, and he had 70, and he had crowds. There were layers even for him. There were people who knew him at different levels. There were people who he interacted with at different levels of intensity and frequency. Even within the 12, there was three, Peter, James, and John. So again, it's okay for you to have those relational circles in your life. He had them as well. It's just important that we can do crowds. Most of us can do crowds at kind of superficial level. What we want to talk about tonight is what are, who are the three? And then again, maybe for some of you, that three actually winds up being a bit of a larger number. So these are the three characteristics of life-giving relationships. When God said to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone... He wasn't talking about the difference between being single and being married. He was talking about the difference between being isolated and being connected to someone else. So don't hear this as a married single. I talk to people all the time who are married who are incredibly isolated. People who are single who have deep and rich relational lives. So this is not an issue of marital status. This is an issue of life. Who knows your heart? Does anybody? Again, two, three, four people. So transparent. That means people can see into you. I'm, I'm willing to allow you to know what's going on in my life. And then being vulnerable, that's the next step. I allow you not just to see what's going on with me, but to actually speak into what's going on with me. There, there are people, this is not uncommon, for folks to be transparent and not vulnerable. There are people, and again, kind of in our social media age, who are more than willing to let you see everything in the world about them, kind of flaunting everything, good, bad, and ugly. That's transparent. We want to go beyond that and say not just who am I willing to let see, but who am I willing to let 
speak. You go to the doctor. You say, here are all the ways that I hurt. Here are all the problems that I have. That's transparency. Vulnerability is in saying, what do I need to do about it? You just tell your symptoms and walk out the door. You're transparent, but you're not vulnerable. We want to be both of those things. And it's a risk. Transparency is a risk. Vulnerability is a bigger risk because you're opening yourself up to be influenced. And that's really the difference between those two. Transparency is all, it's, in a lot of ways, it's still on your terms. And once you make yourself vulnerable, you're saying, I'm going to allow you to influence me. And that's a significant risk. And intentional. These things take time, just like developing your relationship with the Lord. There's this myth that floats around out there, especially kind of in church, small group world, that if you're together long enough, then these things naturally occur. That's a lie. There's never a point in the conversation when, it, when it's just a natural thing to say, you know what, I looked at pornography last night. That doesn't flow off of anything that somebody just said. That always is a risk. Always. That's going to be a difficult thing. That's going to require intentionality on your part to ever share that level of struggle with someone. Those things that you're ashamed of, those things that you're embarrassed by, the fears that you have. Even on the positive side, to talk about your dreams and your hopes, those things for some people are very precious and hard to offer. That always is an intentional step. So don't believe the lie that, all, that there's going to be a natural point where, I, where this is going to make sense. There, this isn't a movie. You're going to have to make a choice, and it's going to be risky. You're opening yourself up. And there's a chance that, well, what if they abuse that information? They absolutely may. What if they gossip about me? They may. What if they stab me in the back? They may. Those things to Jesus. He slandered him. He betrayed him. Jesus washed his feet anyway. So for us, that fear of what someone's going to do if we open ourselves up, it's not, that's not a good enough reason to not engage. It doesn't mean that you cast your pearls before swine at all. You want to be wise. But there, there will be times where people will misuse um, the access that you give to them. And my encouragement to you is to not allow that to shut you down. What's next? So the enemy wants to destroy relationship in your life. You were created for a relationship. It's not good for you to be alone. And eternal life is knowing God. And knowing in the Bible is experiential knowledge. It's not head knowledge. It's that whole idea of heart, mind, will, and emotions. It's not just knowing about. It's experientially knowing someone. And so that's what we're going for. We're made for that type of relationship with God and with other people. The enemy wants to undermine and subvert and destroy that. He wants you to be isolated. In the New Testament, we read that the, the enemy's depicted as a lion. Any of you ever watch those nature shows where lions eat animals? Which animals do they go after? More specifically, that's right, zebras, stragglers, always. They get the ones at the back of the pack, whether they're zebras or other things. It's good. He's been watching Wildcrats with his kids. So they always go after the stragglers. That's who he's looking for. Who's not connected? Who's isolated? Who's alone? That's easy pickings for him. And so if he can get you out of relationship with God and or 
with people who love God and love you. It's the basis of those life-giving relationships. It's got to be people who love God and love you. If he can get you isolated outside of those relationships, then you're easy. It's just a matter of time before he's able to take you out. I don't mean that in a... Just hear that for what it is. That's one of his strategies. So how does he do it? And there's thousands of ways. These are just a couple I've thought of. He distorts our view of God. Think about in the garden. Did God really say he's accusing God to Adam and Eve? The, the, the serpent is saying to Adam and Eve, can you really trust him? Did he really say that? Are you sure he's for you? Why, why would he make that kind of a command? He's, he's causing Adam and Eve to question God's character. And he does the same thing with us. This whole idea, again, of caricature. He emphasizes one element of God and de-emphasizes another. There are all kinds of, there's a lot of mystery in, in our world in terms of the way God works, particularly around evil and injustice and bad things happening. And, and, and the enemy will step into that vacuum of knowledge or that vacuum of information and begin to accuse God and distort God's, distort who God is. Well, if God's good, then why would he fill in the blank? Well, if God is really all loving, then why would fill in the blank? Well, if God is all powerful, then why did fill in the blank? It's just questions. It just, and there's nothing wrong with questions. What the enemy is trying to do is to distort our view of who God is. And so, again, that's why it's so important for us to be grounded in the Bible, this objective revelation. This is who God is. We want to come back to that on a regular basis. He distracts us from God. This is a huge one for us. Relationships take time to develop. And there are times where God will seem to take a step back from us. He's not teasing us. He's not toying with us. I think he's just trying to see, hey, are you, are you hungry? Are you going to continue to pursue me? And so during those moments, it's easy for us to get distracted. We, we're all busy. There's a thousand bells and whistles and shiny things for us to chase after. And sometimes pursuing God is Boring. Sometimes it's monotonous. Sometimes it's routine. And it's easy for us to quit. Super easy to be distracted away from the Lord. And again, if you're not spending time, then you're not, there's no depth. You're not growing deeper. And then it kind of becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy for you. With horizontally, shame, self-protection, fear, those are very similar. What happens to Adam and Eve? They're naked without shame. After the fall, they start covering themselves up. They suddenly are ashamed. Of who they are. They hide from God. And so the same thing is true for us. Again, that's why vulnerability and transparency are always a risk. We all have a tendency towards self-protection. We all want to cover ourselves up. That's a result of the fall. And you've got to lean hard against that to choose transparency and vulnerability. Unforgiveness. Everybody in here has been hurt by another person. And everybody in here is going to be hurt by another person. Probably tomorrow. It's just it's we live in a fallen world and people are sinful and all of those things. We bump into each other and we beat each other up and we bruise it. Sometimes we mean to and sometimes we don't. But there are times where for whatever we've been hurt deeply and for whatever reason we found it difficult to forgive. Another lie is that you can compartmentalize in your heart. You can't do that. Your heart's integrated. You can't build walls in there. You may think you can, but you can't. And unforgiveness in one relationship is going to leak into every other relationship that you have, and it's going to poison it. And so this idea that I can hold one person 
in judgment, but I can be gracious to everyone else. It just doesn't work that way. Eventually, that's going to bleed over, and it winds up undercutting and undermining relationships in every area of life. And many of you can probably think of people who you know who are honestly miserable to be around, very difficult to relate to, and it all ties back to a a lack of forgiveness at some point in their life. And the thing that they're hurt over is probably legitimate and genuine and real and deep. It's not minimizing any of those things. But at some point, if we don't choose to forgive, it's going to be very difficult for us to relate to people on a deep level moving forward. And then busyness. For all of us, these deep relationships take time, and it's hard to find time. It's one of the first things that we cut. If you think about your week, when you get busy... How well do you do maintaining relationships? Those of you who are, who are married, how well do you, ma- do you do maintaining even your marriage on the weeks that you get busy? It's, just, it's easy for us to cut relationships because they don't necessarily feel urgent, particularly the ones that are the closest to us because they're always there. And so they never feel it, – it's just easy. Again, it's that whole squeaky wheel thing. They're rarely squeaky, and so it's easy for us to neglect So relationships in general with God and with other people, I think the the biggest tactic of the enemy is to say they don't matter. They're unimportant. They're luxuries. That type of thing. If you've got time, it's great. But if you don't, you're going to be okay. I want you to remember, particularly those of you who struggle relating to other people, like if you're trying to go through your mental list and go, do I have two or three? If you don't have those, but the enemy may say, hey, it's okay. Just you and God. That's all you need, right? It's just you and him. Remember Adam in the garden before the fall. It was just him and God. And God said it's not good. You think about that. I'm relating perfectly to God. And God says, that's not enough in a way. It's not good. You need somebody else. So don't believe the lie that it's okay for you. That as long as you're okay with God, then you're okay. You were made for a relationship with other people. So I'm going to... Sit down. I know we didn't get anywhere. Like I said, promise delivered on that. So I'm going to pray, and then I want you all to talk. There will be some questions up there. You don't have to answer any of them. You all go in whatever direction you want. The The big concept is, what does it look like for you to begin to develop a rhythm that has relationships as a key? With rest and work, it's easy to think about time on a clock. I work X hours, and I rest X hours, or I work X days, and I... Rest X days. When it comes to relationships, it's, we don't necessarily think in terms of time, and so it can be easy to neglect. And we can wind up going weeks and even months without having significant conversations with anybody. We can go weeks or even months without having significant time with the Lord. And so, again, relationships are easy to minimize because it, we don't necessarily put those things on the calendar. So whatever helps you think about developing a rhythm that regularly includes life-giving relationships, and time with the Lord. That's, what I, that's the direction I'd encourage you all to go. So let me pray. God, thanks for these folks. I thank you um, for people who are here for the first time, people who've um, plugged away for three weeks. And my desire for everybody in here is that every one of us would begin to experience the abundant life that you promise, Jesus. And if this idea of rest, work, and relationships helps people enter in, then absolutely I pray they would. If there's something that's better for them, a better handhold, then I pray that you would lead them into that as well. My desire, again, is coming out of these three weeks that everyone in here would take another step uh, into the abundant life 
that, Jesus, you say you promise. Any places in any of the lives in this room where the enemy is actively stealing and killing, destroying. God, I pray that you would highlight those, that we would see those, that we would feel convicted or or our eyes would be opened and you would destroy his work. You said, Jesus, you came to destroy the works of the devil, and I pray you would do that in the lives of everybody in this room, that we would be free to live abundantly in you. And so as we look at this whole idea of relationships tonight, would you lead us? There's so many directions that we can go. And I pray that for each person you would highlight what is most important. Is it most important to be thinking about their relationship with you? Is it most important to be thinking about their horizontal relationships? Is it most important to be thinking about obstacles? Whatever it is, I pray you would lead everybody into what is the most important thing for them so there can be a, a, some sense of implementation of, of developing um, a more relational lifestyle. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.